Hey guys, the last few weeks have been sobering as a black person living in the United States. The reaction of people from around the world to the injustices perpetrated by police officers against black people has been really sobering and somewhat comforting. To see so many people come in in support of black people displaying their frustration, to see so many people publicly declare that Black Lives Matter, as we have been saying for so long, means a lot. But it doesn't erase the pain. It doesn't erase the hurt. It doesn't erase the fact that Black people have become used to seeing other Black people killed by police, and we're just supposed to move on from it. Before we start this episode, we're going to take a moment in memory of everyone that has been a victim of this senseless killings, of this evil killings, of this racist killings by people who see black people as things that can be disposed of. This is the memory of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, and every black person who has been killed senselessly by these cops. Black Lives Matter. Now let's get to the show. While I was in Lagos, Nigeria for the Christmas holidays, I got a text from my friend Adekunle Gold on the 1st of January, inviting my partner and I to his house for a little get together he had with some friends and family. We met his mom, Simi's parents, Simi's friends, his friends, ate a lot of food, had some drinks, listened to music, and had very interesting conversations. When me and Adekunle are around each other, we always talk about a lot of things relating to music and just life in general. While we were having this conversation, he started speaking about some interesting experiences he's had being an artist in Nigeria and how some experiences became really scary and potentially dangerous. I have done interviews with him in the past centered around his music and his work, but this time I wanted to have a more personal discussion with him. I felt like I had to do this for you guys. And so I spoke to him, he agreed to do it. We eventually got to it months later in the middle of the global pandemic. And now you can listen to his story. Also, a huge congratulations to him and his wife, Simi, on the birth of their daughter, Adejari. I am so, so happy for them. Now, let's get to Adekule Gold's story. I was born in Ikotun. The delivery happened in Ikotun, but then I was raised in, uh, I grew up first in uh, Ifako, Agege. And then we moved to Ikotun again. 
My parents were teachers when we were growing up. My dad was so good, was so brilliant that he was a teacher of teachers. Like after his um, primary assignment, he had another assignment where he would go and teach teachers. That's how he met my mom as well. <laughs> he was my mom's teacher. My parents were able to, I mean, cater for us a lot, right? I mean, everything we needed at that time. You know, it's not like we had like luxury of anything. They were just teachers. Imagine what teachers were earning at that time. I was such a stubborn child. I did everything bad except stealing. That's the one thing I didn't do. And that's one thing that I pride myself in till tomorrow. I don't know how to steal shit. I used to lie like a lot. My parents would beat me for stuff that I didn't even do. But just because I could, I, I could have done it, you know? Like when I tell the truth, like I'm saying, no, I didn't do this thing. They don't even believe me. You know how bad your reputation will be for, that, for anybody to not believe you? That's how I was. Nobody believed me. I was very destructive as a child. But the thing is, if they knew better then, I feel like they would have understood me more. I was very inquisitive. And by being inquisitive, I ruined a lot of things. Buy me a toy today. I want to know how it works. And then in the process of trying to figure it out, I ruined it. And they just beat me. They beat me for everything. I was supposed to be in class. I'll go and meet girl. You know, like silly things that I did in school. It was so stupid. My childhood was just cruise or just vibes. I can count the number of primary schools that I went to. I probably went to like eight. My parents just kept changing my school. They would say, okay, maybe it's this one that's not working. They don't know that it's me. The first time I came first in a school, me, I don't deceive myself. That's one thing that I'm so happy about. Even till now, I'm like, ah, nah, this cannot be the right school for me, bro. <laughs> There's no way. Either they helped me or something happened. Because how the fuck did I come first in this school? I was coming from private school where kids were very smart, you know? I was always like 11, 11, 14, 19. I got a man you know. I didn't even know what, what I was doing as a child. I was just doing it out. But I grew up to understand myself more. And then in all of these times, I noticed that I was interested in music. I was just in the teen choir. I would represent the church in um, memory verse, uh, what's it called? Um, competition, junior choirs, concerts, and all of those things. Mind you, we were Muslims. My parents were Muslims, but they allowed us. My dad is a liberal man, was a liberal man. He allowed us to go to church. For him, religion is education. There are ideas you should learn from Christianity, and there are ideas you should learn from being a Muslim as well. So that's kind of how he raised us. And that really made me uh, a bit more broad. When we moved to Ikotun, it stopped us from going to church. We started like learning Quran. I finished that. The only thing I didn't do was the graduation, the ulima. I'm like, nah, be. <laughs> I'm not doing that. But because I was so I was so used to the whole idea of going to church, I fell in love with Christianity more. When I went to Lagos State Polytechnic, I just became a Christian again. And it couldn't stop me at that time. As he was trying to figure himself out as an adult, he tried a lot of things. But the things that always came natural to him were things relating to the arts. So I had two friends when I was in secondary school, Keke High School, Agege. One of them was very smart. His name is Debo. Very smart. We're in JSS, you know, it was JSS that had no had no science class. But when it was time to like graduate to the to SS1, Debo had always said he had always said that I was going to be a civil engineer. I didn't even know what that meant at that time. He had an idea, he had it figured out, you know. I Me, mean, I didn't know what I was going to become. I was following Debo because ah, I was a big book. So okay. Me too, and I said I was going to become a civil engineer. There was another friend, Shegun. We basically were just following Debo's shadows, right? So when we entered SS1. As a civil engineer, I needed to be in science class. First term test. We did tests of all, all the subjects, you know, um, physics, chemistry. And I scored 8 over 30 in physics. Was it physics or chem chemistry? I don't remember. I don't remember, but one of them, sure. 
like I said, one thing that I do not do, I do not do to myself is lie. If I know that shit is not working, something has hit the fan, I know when to just say, you know what, I'm I'm making up my mind, I'm doing this. When I saw my results, that's when I knew this class is not for me. My dad was proud of me that I had tried to go to science class because he knew me. He knew that mentally I was not I was not that smart, but I think he wanted to just give me benefit of doubt, right? Even me, I was just pushing myself because of my friend because I wanted to become a civil engineer. Me, I don't even know what civil engineering was about. When I saw that result, I just went to my counselor. I said I wanted to change to art class. They told my parents. They abused my life. That I said, I don't care. Whatever people say, that's the best decision I made in my life because it pushed me to being able to major in art that I wanted to do. I can draw, I can paint, I can do all these things. That's the one thing that comes to me so easily, fine art. I'm like, there's no point fighting this thing. Let me just go and do this thing. I finished school and then I got an admission to Uniben and Lagos State Polytechnic. But I chose Laspotech because of woman. <laughs> a girl that I, I met in a cartoon in 2003 she was moving to Ikorodu and I had gotten admission to Uniben and Laspotech at the same time. Laspotech was in Ikorodu. I said, ah, I mean, it only makes sense to go to this school. <laughs> I don't have a BSc because of... <laughs> my first two years was, I kind of treated it like uh, my secondary school day vibes, Steve vibes. But when I saw my first um, semester, my first ND1 result, I'm like, ah, no, this cannot happen. That's when I, for the first time in my life, and I said, you know what? This cool thing, I want to ace it. ND2 came out with the distinction. I'm like, yes. But because my ND1 was shit, the whole cumulative and everything didn't add up. So I didn't really do well. When I did my IT, it was when I learned Photoshop. If I was in Uniben, I may not have found Photoshop the way I found it. Because... I knew that I was going to major in graphics. And the way my school was then, Laspotech is an amazing school for any course you want to do. People look down on that school because it's just a polytechnic. But the way they would drill you, they drilled me so much. Because I went to that school in the, in the, with the mind that my dad is a fine arts teacher and he taught me a lot. So I was going to be very good. But when I went to that school, I was humbled because I saw people with zeal and everything. So I needed to do better. So because I knew that I was going to major in graphics in HND, I was looking for places to do my IT. Some of my friends had found like painting studios at Universal in uh, Suruleri. Like that was the that was the place that everybody wanted to go that time as an artist. But me, I wanted something different. There was a girl that I met one time. Her name is Tosi. She's a model. So I saw one of her, one of the pictures that she posted one time, and I asked her like, where did she take that picture? She said, oh, one studio. I was not saying I'm looking for a place to do my IT because I hadn't found then. And she said, oh, that she knows the boss of this place that she could hook me up. She spoke to the boss and then I went to I went to Ogba. The studio is called XDS, owned by Tosin Olopade. That man changed my life. 2007, I went to um, XDS for my interview. They asked me, they said, do I know how to use Photoshop? I'd already learned how to use Photoshop at LTV in my three months uh, CWS in ND1. But I learned basic. I learned how to design sets from that. But I wasn't so good. I was trying my best to just do little stuff, right? My first day at the interview with um, XDS Studio, they showed me two pictures. They showed me one unedited picture and the edited picture. They now asked me, can I edit this picture to look this good? When I saw the cleaned picture, like the airbrush picture, I screamed like, hell fucking no, I can't do that. You know what? The interviewer was a bit grumpy. But because I was being honest, he laughed. He just took interest immediately. Like, nah, this guy... Is ready to learn. But I said, 
I don't know how to do it, but I would like to learn it. You know, and they gave me a shot. I had a fight with my mom because imagine going from Ikotun to Ogba every day. And they were going to pay me how much? That time, my CWS, 4,000 naira. 4,000 naira was not going to do anything. I knew that it wasn't going to do anything for me. I just wanted to just learn that version of Photoshop because I wanted to be so good at editing and all. My first day, I went to work. The guys that were, the were guys there, they didn't want to show me their secrets because they thought that I was going to come in and bounce them. Apparently, oh, the new person wants to come and take their shine and all. I will notice that they will be hiding keys for me. I will see the way they will do it and then I will just be watching them. I, I know that they are, they are hiding stuff from me, but then I will watch them. So one day, one of them didn't come to work and it was just me that needed to take over the job. So we had like customers come to take pictures and then I was supposed to edit them. You know how all the studios where you take instant pictures and you get it immediately. You know, that's, that was the kind of studio. So it was me. Receptionist came. You have to do this, Kunle. I'm like, shit. Okay. So I took pictures first and then I went to edit it. It was not great, but for a first timer, it was good. And that's how I started. These guys came back to what they saw that I was a correct guy. So they didn't need to hide anything from me anymore. And I became like a guru. I did that for a whole year. I would take pictures. I would edit. Go out to take events. I would edit. I would get jobs from photographers outside. I became the guy that would help you edit your pictures. If you go as an event photographer, they will go out on Saturdays for weddings. They will send to me. I was always ginger to do it. And then the boss took me personally, like he took me to his branches in Ibadan. I worked in different places, you know. So now I became like very good at Photoshop. Not even necessarily for graphics, but at least for editing. And that affected my detailing, you know, because I was going back to school to study graphics. I knew that what I had gone to learn was going to be different from what my guys went to do. I could draw, I could paint, maybe not as much as them, but this graphics one that I'm going to major in, nah, nobody was going to beat me to it. So I go back to school and I started acing it, bro. Computer graphics was one of our courses and then I was like killing it. And that's how I graduated like the best student in my class. Even while in school, I was working. I mean, I was always going out to get jobs, editing graphics. I was still make my music with Michael then. And I was in the band. Before we were the bridge, we were called Roots of JC. <laughs> I was always the one that came up with all these weird names. But yeah, so I was doing all of those. And then I finished school. Um, I went to serve in my degree. I started serving when the bomb blast started. I got a chance to redeploy because of one fine girl, one fine Igbo girl, fine girl that I met there. I said, yeah, and I was going to stay. I had ideas. I said I was going to go to the university degree to go and be the assistant lecturer. Coming up with all these ideas, the first time I went to that school, I saw that, oh, more. this was not going to work out. The day I decided to leave my degree was the day I went to bank and then that was the first bomb blast. When I heard that shit, I'm like, not me and you. This next day, I said I was leaving. People say that, are you not going to do your deployment? I'm like, oh God, me and they come out. I left my, I left camp and I report at my kidney once in a while and I did all that. And then I finished that. Before he was known by the public as Adekunigo, the singer, he built a name for himself online for the funny edits he did to pictures of superstars like Beyonce, Kim Kardashian, Chrissy Teigen, and more, which earned him the title King of Photoshop. He speaks on how his work with graphics opened many doors for him. A friend sent me somebody's Facebook page. His name is Abinibi. Abinibi is a mad-ass graphic artist. Till now, Abinibi Multimedia. He's now a movie director as well. Somebody sent me his page and then all night, I'll be copying this guy's designs. Redesign and then now try to make my own better. I'll send to him. At first, he didn't used to respond to me. But me, all my life, I get no's, so I'm fine. I will just keep reaching out. 
I kept reaching out. See, now I became my friend. And he didn't teach me anything, right? But I learned from his work. Before I even became king of Photoshop, a lot of people on Twitter now knew me from my graphics. And then I designed for Industry Nights. I designed the One Mike, One Mike Niger logo. I was getting jobs. I was making money already. I was getting Western Union from London, from America, from designing for people, you know. So my graphics that was sorted. Then I became king of Photoshop when I started to work with Jumia. I was Jumia. I was with Konga and then the Mobilizer. I just kept working, working. And then and all this time, I was making music with Michael. I was writing. I was trying to get performances done. I remember the first time we performed at um, Industry Night. And that was Shantizu's Industry Night, his first one too. Shantizu was like, he was really hyped. I think he just released Shole Kole that time. The song was not popular then, but he performed at Industry Night. We were basically like on the same level, you know, like we're both upcoming. But I think he had like help somewhere. We didn't, we didn't know anybody. We watched him perform and I love this energy. We were so dull. <laughs> Christian boys, we were just, we were just, they just, you know, we we're used to performing on the church altar, doing, you know, that movement, that leg movement. CAC boys, a few weeks after, this guy blew the fuck up. I'm like, shit. We couldn't even reach him anymore. She if we knew she would have connected his number that day. We couldn't find his brake light, but as he blew up, I see, ah, God, when will it be our turn? Working, working. I got a job as a brand manager and mobilizer where my mind even opened to something else. I started to do marketing. That's why everything I do now that my seem as marketing, I learned from being a brand manager at mobilizer. It was just a job that I did for one year and then I learned, I learned some tricks in marketing. I've tried too many things. I was also a web designer at some point. I learned web designing, even though I've, that one, that's the one thing I, I've forgotten now, but <laughs> I learned web designing. Everything, I, I, I just kept, everything around the arts, Sha, I kept doing. He spoke about the moment he knew he had to give music 100%. He left the bridge, the group he was doing with his friend Michael, also known as Shayi Keys, and moved on as a solo artist. 2011, Future skills and a song called Nonbreaker. Don't go and look for that song. Don't. I'm warning you. In my head, I was a, I was a dope ass writer that time. Ah, my God. I did right. <laughs> yeah, featured skills. Shout out to skills. Give us a chance then. Ah, about was fresh in EME, blowing guy. That time when he came out. Shout out to Osagi. Osagi made that happen. Osagi, metal chick. Amazing woman. Um, Osagi and uh, Tosin Bokno, my soul rest in peace, were working on uh, one mic manager. So they used to give me jobs then. So I used that contact. So I built the relationship for the song with skills, you know. And then we featured um, GT the Guitar Man too, as well on a song called, what is that song again? I forgot the title. The song is titled Make It Happen. It really started 2011. That's when I knew that I was going to do it professionally, but I was, I was not going to just do it without finishing my school, finishing you know, all those, doing all those things. Then 2014 really marked the point that I said, you know what, I've done music, but alongside something, you know. 2013, we disbanded. I said, let me focus on songwriting more and being the lead. I had knack for singing more. Michael was always the producer since year 2000. I remember how we used to produce then. His mom bought a keyboard for the church and the keyboard had like a floppy disk. So Michael, Michael would play beats, make beats on the drumminator and everything and then we'll now put on a diskette. That's how we made beats then. Every church we went to, we needed to be sure that they had like the same type of diskette so we can play our instrumental and then perform. Michael has always been very smart with technology, you know. No surprise that he's into IT. Sometimes when the thing doesn't work, 
market will be on the keys. Me, I'll just be on the on the altar. But 2013, we said, you know what? Focus on production. Get better than production. Let me let me do this thing. And 2014, November, I resigned. And then I said, yeah, I'm doing this for real. Quit my job, November 14. I recorded Shadi and released it December 14. More from Adekunle Gold after this short break. For more on this story and parts that didn't make the episode, head out to patreon.com slash wally that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash wally where you get extra episode bonus episodes behind the scenes content and a lot more that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash wally also don't forget to give this podcast a five-star rating on apple Podcasts. this helps more people come across the show and helps us build more of a community than we already have thank you I had had the chorus of Shade since May 2014, right? I was driving and I heard the song, Story of my life. I don't even know the lyrics again. I heard the chorus on the radio and I thought, wow, this is nice. And they were playing the song on the radio. I was singing, Jeng Lolly on the song. I was singing, Jeng But thankfully, I was recorded. I recorded it on my phone sharply and I just left it there. So I was going to make a five song EP in November, right? But when I recorded Shade, with Olai Tondada. Shout out to Olai Tondada. That man helped me. I went to his studio and recorded it. He added the Gong beat. He mixed my voice, did everything. And we just put it out, just like a cover. Mind you, I, I written Beautiful Nights, Oriente, Friend Zone, before Shade. But let's say, let's just try. Let's see how people will respond to this. I released it and I started getting interviews on radio. Small time, I go to the show at a cool tale. I'm like, wait, what? Performs to about 5,000 people. Nah, no way this is happening. And that's when I knew that, okay, I think I'm ready. You know, then I got signed. Alamide heard it, invited me over. I went to watch him at his first Olik show. A few days after, he said he would like for me to join the label. Fuse was the one that sent my song, um, Shadi, to Alamide. That, yo, Badu, you guys, you guys signed this guy. I think he also met me. He liked me and then, like, yeah, let's do this. It was time to do the album, so I started writing and I did it for two years. I was with my friends all through uh, Fields, Shay Fumi, Oscar. I was always going to their houses, you know, working on song. Pick up, I had also written before I even went to Fields, you know. I just needed to just go in the studio and wrap it up or something. Olamide is an album person as well, so get ready where your album needs to be, you know. And that also helped me because I had the culture too. Immediately. Me, me, I wasn't in a, in a label, so I didn't have any album culture. What I just had was just recording, recording. After the success of his first album, Gold, he decided to try new sounds on his next album, About 30, but got mixed reviews. He speaks about how he handled the criticism. The day I released Gold, July 25th, 2016, I said, I'm going to do About 30. I didn't know that was going to be the name, right? But I said it was going to be different. Mind you, songs like Back to Start, it was supposed to be on gold, but I took it out. I knew Back to Start was not fit for gold. I said, I'm going to keep it for my next album. And then I was going to make it the last track. So that when you get to the last track, it gives you an instruction to go back to the start. Ire, which is still my favorite Adekunle Gold song ever. I released that song and it literally, it was everywhere. You know that. It became a song that people sing in churches. I've seen it everywhere. 
that song just took me to a new old level entirely. I was in a great space of, okay, so I've experimented. You know what's funny? Even Ire is a step ahead of some songs on Gold Album. Ire is pop. Forget that I said you were buying it. Forget the traditional, it is pop. So that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted to do at that time. And I did it. And I was happy. So I wrote um, Ire, Fame, Surrender, There Is A God, that album. I want to be careful how I say this, right? As far as fulfilling my craftsmanship, knowing that, okay, this is what I want to do. That's my favorite one. With gold, you know, it's your debut. You are hungry. That's my baby always. I love gold album. Like both albums, I love them. But about it, it was special to me. A song like Mr. Foolish, for example, my dad used to call me Mr. Foolish and that's why I wrote the song. So I wanted to relieve all of those things in about 30 until now. That's my most published song. It might not be popular in Nigeria. Walk into any Nando's right now. They are probably playing Mr. Foolish. They are playing Pablo Alacori. I mean, I'm seeing my checks. You know what I mean? <laughs> like this album has songs that have done something great for me. This is the album that was considered by the Grammy as well. I wish I got nominated, but I mean, I saw the list. I made the concentration list. It was me, Berna, Yemi, I think somebody else, yeah. You know, it was a great feeling. So that's why when I got backlash for that album, the backlash, again, is normal. normal. People are used to your debut. I don't care who you are. The Jesus of the world, they they still go through it. It happens. You know what I mean? I feel like one of the things that I have a problem with in social media is um, the bandwagon mentality. Some people didn't listen to that album at first because of some people's reviews. But people now went by themselves to listen. Since then, I've been seeing tweets saying, no, About 30 is a classic. I'm sorry I slept on this album. You know, and I'm like, well, it's okay. Adekunle tells me about stories of what musicians face in Nigeria and how he has been in some stressful and dangerous situations. I didn't finish Iray video. I was supposed to shoot Iray for three days, but I couldn't complete it. So I'd done, I'd done the Ajabit, right? We were supposed to go to Ikorodu to use the Keno. I knew that was going to be a disaster. I kind of prepared for it. God, I'm in security. I don't walk about with security. I'm not a, I don't like it. I feel like it's just, it's too much. It's too much. Like what's, what's somebody carrying gun about? But some days when you enter places like Agege or more, you don't have a choice, you know? So I went with security. We had shot the Keno scene and everything when I was heading back to where the car was. So now I go to the next set, the gas station set. I saw this crowd waiting for me already. I said, ah! It don't happen. I was prepared. I, had, I mean, I was going to give money. But you know how you can't reason with these people? There's no way. You can't organize street boys. There's no, uh, let me speak to somebody. The minute you say, want to speak to somebody, another sect comes. You have to give them something, you know. I got to the car and I was greeting everybody. I said, okay, let me enter the car. Let me bring money. They started pulling, bro. They wanted to tear me apart. That's when my cartoonal came out. Like, ah, ain't she any. Like, I literally changed it for everybody. I entered the car. I said, I was, I was going to share money. Calm down. Who's your leader? Let me speak to them, you know. Bro, they started punching me small, small. Ah, on top of my own money now. I said, I'm going to give you money. Bro, we just found a way to drive that car. As we entered the road, I thought it was over. They would cause the frenzy on the Kurodu road. This would chase us from, from Majidun to Ketu. We're still sharing money. We're throwing money, but... And I had a flight to catch that, that day to London. I just told Ajay, I said, Oga, this is your script that you said you, you, you did for three days. I don't know what, you, what the fuck you're shooting. Me, I'm leaving. I just left the set. I went straight to the airport. They wanted to kill me, daddy. They wanted to kill my PA. Like, 
our security, they were just negotiating with area boys. They, they couldn't do anything because, you know, you can't just fire arms anyhow. Not even in the cool do. That would be dangerous. So the area video that you are watching is not done. My life too was like that. The things that we go through to just make this thing happen sometimes. Like before we even step on stage, you are at a show at a gigi, for example. Boys are already waiting for you. So as you're on stage, you're about to perform your last song. You're already dreading it. Like, oh shit. Okay. It's going to be a hustle. I mean, getting out of here. I went to perform in Lauren one time. That was the craziest. They knocked our car with jazz. See, I'm not one to believe in these things. But for the first time, I think I had to. The car that we took from Lagos that nothing happened to. This guy was just hovering something. I've forgotten what they call it. The minute that guy hit the car with that thing, the shaft of that car broke. When I got stuck on the road, they now came in numbers. Give us some money. We're the ones listening to your music. I just came down. That's the part that my, my manager hated the most. I just came down. Hey, what's going on? I see you. Are you the leader here? How much do you want? Once they hear that alone, they just go, hey, yeah, yeah. Oh, you from the streets too? Okay, give us some money. I remember I gave them 50,000 and they said it was not enough. That's when I'm like, no, you're taking the piece. Come on, bro. This guy said he didn't want it. I just took my money. I said, ah, all that way, all that way. Then I saw that, ah, this guy too was confident. So they followed us to our hotel. I've had crazy nights. Crazy, crazy nights where before you get on stage, there's trouble. When you leave, there's trouble. Some days I wish I, wish I was one of those artists that would just go on stage and just do, do the R&B, you know, and just leave. Nobody send them. Bro, they send me. It's crazy. A big part of his story is his relationship with his wife, Simi, who is also one of the biggest musicians in Nigeria. He tells me about how they met, the dynamics of their relationship, and why they prefer to not be public about a lot of things about their relationship. I knew about her on Facebook. I sent her a message that she has not replied me till today. <laughs> she performed at Bogobiri one time. I went to watch her, and then we started talking, and then became friends, helped my music, Ah, I mean, I like I was feeling the girl. Eventually, we started dating, and I mean, we're here now. As for my relationship, I don't, you know me, I keep to myself. My business is my business. Like, I'm not trying to be, it's just, if it's not for you to know, there's no point telling. I've seen people say, uh, so, some of our PDAs online sometimes, that we are doing it intentionally. I'm like, if you people even know how we are in the house, what you even see is a little fraction. The relationship is the relationship. What you knew first is the music. Just stick to that, you know. If we want you to know anything, we'll tell you. That's kind of like how our life is. People are not getting anything, so they are just making anything up. I will just look at it and just laugh like, hmm. Simi is my first critique. That song that I played for USC, for example, two days ago, Simi heard it already. Corrected a few things, right? That's the one songwriter that I still look up to, like, yeah, because she's up there for me. She mixed the gold album, mixed some songs on uh, about 30. Now she's too busy for me, but <laughs> but as far as, I mean, what do you think about this song? Yeah. If she doesn't like it, think she'll say it. No, I think that line is weak. I think you can do better. And then, you know, no, having seen me around in my career, of course, been super helpful. Super helpful. At the time of having this conversation with him, Simi was due to have their baby in a few weeks. I asked him how he feels about that and if he is scared of being a father. I don't know, maybe for some people, they think that it, like, it's, it's a bit nerve-wracking. Bro, I've been ready. I just can't wait to meet my baby. That's it. I just, I want, I want it. 
so bad. I'm I'm expectant. Like I know that I'm going I'm going to try to be a great father, you know. So I just can't wait to um, assume that responsibility already. I'm not afraid of anything. I'm ready. His style has evolved from his presentation to the sound. He has drifted a bit from what he started with. He speaks to me about the kind of direction he wants to take his music going forward and what to expect from his next album, Afropop. Honestly, I'm in a great space. I'm just having fun and it feels good to just be in a world where you worry about nothing and what you're just doing is just having fun and people are feeling it. Before, I called myself songwriter, but I was only writing for myself. I'm writing for artists now. My ears are tuned differently now. My favorite artist right now is Post Malone. You can imagine like the kind of songs that I listen to now. Every now and then I pitch songs to artists and then to reach out to them. Some people have picked my songs. I mean, for example, I'm grateful that Davido did um, One Milli. I just thought about it. If I can write for people, why don't I just release some of these songs as well in my voice? That's what gave birth to um, Afropop. I thought, you know what, let me do a collection of sounds from Africa that I've done well in the last decade. Afropop is simply African popular music. I wanted to just make African popular music, put in my voice. Before You Wake Up, Kelebe, Young Love, Jure, and then Something Different. I'm going to drop another one soon, and then boom, the album. I have like a trap-like record in the album, but it's in my voice. It's very interesting, you know. You will never think that Adekunle would do such R&B that is very like, if you were going to pitch it to a foreign artist, you'd be thinking of a, a black. I must well just do it. Let me just have fun, you know. One of the people that motivated me was Ed Sheeran when he did the collaboration project. That album opened my eyes. I'm like, oh, come on, bro. If this guy that is the indie guy can do this thing, I can as well. I can have fun. You know, he had fun on that album and then you can see it worked. So if I can write for people, and this is the vibe that I'm feeling right now, let me just write it. A big thank you to Adekule Gold for sharing his story with us for this episode. I enjoyed the conversation and I'm sure you did too. An interesting thing I noticed while speaking with him is how he sometimes will refer to his late father in the present. Something I struggled with for a while after I lost my father. There were times he would say is instead of was and it would just remind me of what I went through after I lost my dad. Rest in peace to his dad. You can listen to him talking more about his father and losing a sister to a heart disease in the extra episode that's available to my Patreon subscribers. The address is patreon.com slash wally. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash wally. You should come join our community over there for exclusive content, extra episodes, and bonus stories. Thanks for listening to this episode. Don't forget to subscribe, share this episode with your friends, and give the podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It's a small thing, but it does a lot for the visibility of the podcast. So if you're using an iPhone, just go on Apple Podcasts, search for In These Moments, and just give a five-star rating. If you want to write a review, you can do that as well. It helps more people come across the podcast, and it means a lot to me. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. I'm going to be back with you in two weeks. If you're on Patreon, you're going to get the episode a few days before everybody else gets it. So go on patreon.com slash Wally if you want to do that. The next episode is one of my favorite from this season. So I can't wait for you to listen to it. Take care of yourself. Take care of your mental health. Be safe. Wash your hands. Follow the social distancing guidelines. And I'll see you in two weeks. Bye.